0: authority over sin authority over sin we transition today uh into Matthew chapter 9 and I just want to remind you of how we left off last week last week was a was a uh, an exciting uh passage in uh in the the book of Matthew and and um Actually, Wednesday night we did q and A. Q&A. Uh, who was here Wednesday night? A fair amount of people are watching it online. We did something we've never done before, which was a live Q and A where we just opened up the mic and 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 uh, were open to questions. Inevitably, when you have passages like that, you leave here with questions. Life groups are amazing for that purpose, um, but uh, you know sometimes it's it's just good to digest and marinate on it for a few days, and then so we opened that up. So if you haven't. If you weren't here or you didn't see it yet, you can find that on, online on our, on, uh, on our YouTube channel. But um, we left off last week with Jesus delivering two men from demonic possession. And then, rather than joining Jesus and his disciples in ministry, he sent them out back home to effectively do ministry back in their home. um, This is what Jesus has done for me. This is what he can do for you. It's essentially the the message that they were sent to preach. Uh, Jesus has shown his authority in the spiritual realm by casting out demons. And these men really did need that deliverance. But more importantly... They needed the freedom that can only be found by knowing Jesus. So as we look at the passage today, I want to encourage you to use that same lens. We'll do it a little bit differently today as opposed to reading the entire passage. We're just going to walk through it together because as Jesus ministers, he has one primary goal, and that's what we'll see today. Verse 1, Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over, and came to his own town. That's another passage that's found in all three Gospels, makes it very important. So we'll look at them together for the, the full context, because it is, in fact, the same story. Notice Matthew says his own town. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He's from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, but But Matthew says his own hometown. So where is he? Well, Mark chapter 2 says a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home. So what is this all about? If you look at the map, um, this is a neat map I found that shows uh, the location and lists all the different passages where Jesus' ministry took place uh, over on the... uh, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which incidentally is about the size of uh, Lake Winnebago. So to give you a a scale there, um, that's that's about the same size. So you see um, uh, Gergasa, or however you pronounce that, over there on the east side. That's where we were last week. He delivers the demoniacs. They're thankful but the people of the town want nothing to do with him. And so he gets back on the boat and he goes back to the west side. North, west, you see Capernaum. And notice the chunk of scripture. What most scholars believe is that Jesus has at some time either moved to Capernaum or he has at least set up his ministry headquarters. That's where most of the... Uh, or. Uh, Much more recorded ministry is found in Capernaum rather than any other single spot. So back to Matthew chapter 1, Jesus stepped into a boat, he crossed over, came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a map. Now, that's all Matthew tells us about this, this piece here. Mark and Luke... Um, give much more detail. I don't know why Matthew stops there, but um, let's look at what Mark and Luke have to say. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, because they could not get him to Jesus, pardon me, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was lying on. Isn't it interesting we sang about that? (laughs) Luke, Eric had no idea we were going to be in this passage. Isn't that cool? Um, Luke puts it this way, one day Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So those of you who have been in church, this is the felt story with the felt characters on the felt board of the man and Jesus, and he's lowered through, and the house, you remember it, I remember it. But I want you to think about this scene. Um, From Matthew chapter 5, which incidentally we started on Easter Sunday, through this point, Jesus has been teaching. His teaching has been so amazing that people are just astonished. They're challenged. Their lives have been changed, impacted, because it's so different from anything they're used to hearing. Just radically different. And, and the way he teaches, with authority, not like any of the other teachers that they're used to hearing. And he makes the scriptures and the law like come alive. It, 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 it makes sense. Oh. And here's how you apply that. It, you, the law says this, but but here's what it actually means. And and here's how that is to be lived out in your life. Oh, that's so much more meaningful to me than don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and make sure you do this and make sure you do this and make sure you do this. Who can do that? Jesus says, this is what it means. And then he performs miracles. He heals the sick. He delivers people who have been in obvious bondage from spiritual oppression and, and demonic possession, thing, things like people who throw themselves in the fire and they scream and yell and they break chains and, and Jesus steps on, on the scene and, he, and, they're, and they're healed. Wow. It's amazing. The word gets out that these miraculous signs happen whenever Jesus is teaching. And and by the way, this is his own hometown. So if anybody would know, these people would know. They've seen it time and again. They know Jesus. And so everybody wants to have an opportunity. And so Jesus is back in town and and he's teaching at a house. We don't know whose house it is, but Mark says that They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Can you see that? I mean, we've seen pictures of what Jerusalem would look like, what the the houses would look like in that day. Can you visualize that? And Luke adds this, he says, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So here's this man who needs healing in town. Jesus is in town. The power of the Lord is with him to heal. So they go get him and they bring him to Jesus. Let me ask you, do you know anybody that needs Jesus? And I'm not talking about judgmental here. I'm just, I'm just talking, you know, look at the fruit of their life. Not only is there no evidence that they have a relationship or that they're, they're a believer or that there's, there's just, not only is there none of that fruit, there's nothing but fruit of the other. You just use your brain. Maybe a physical need, it may be a different need, and we can name them. It could be relational or financial, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual. Most of it is rooted in spiritual, of course, we talked about that last week. But let's narrow that down because that's kind of broad, right? Do you know anyone? Do you know one person? One person at work. One person in your neighborhood. One person that, you know, for whatever reason, you end up at Quick Trip at the same time, and you've actually talked to the person, and you've struck up a friendship with them. Maybe it's a customer. And you know that they need Jesus. You ever invited them to church? Because for you and me in our culture today, that's the easiest way to bring someone to Jesus. That's what these men did. Let's look at the crowd. Verse 4, Mark chapter 2, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Luke puts it this way, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. It's a good question for us to always be asking, but, but statistically, it takes, I don't know if you've ever heard this, it takes seven years for a ministry to, be, to show evident fruit, to, to, to become mature. How about that? <clears throat> well, if that's the case, we're there. I was praying the other day and I, and I just was like, oh, we've just completed season number one. So that means we're walking into season number two of Mill City Church today isn't that exciting so it's a good question for us to ask are we as a church making room for Jesus better yet are we making room for people to find Jesus I've been gone for three months so I really don't even know It's a mirror question, though. It's not a finger-pointing question. It's a mirror question. Do we make it easy or do we make it difficult for people to find Jesus? In what way, you might ask? Well, do you intentionally look for people on Sunday morning that you don't know? They're they're actually really easy to find because they have that look. What do I do? Where do I go? There's a line. I'll go to the coffee shop. I know how to line up. I've been to kindergarten. I can line up. There's something for me to do. And it's a church, so you're going to have to pull your wallet out. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. What would you do that? Well, so you can introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Steve. Are you new here? Is this your first Sunday? I I found someone this morning. Malachi. There you are. Hey, there's Malachi. Hey, everybody. There's Malachi. It's his first Sunday. (laughs) And there's Randy. Randy over there in the green shirt. It's his first Sunday. And both of them found their seats. Wow, that's amazing. And it was really dark in here. You know, there, there, are, there are positions, volunteer positions, that are still unfilled. It's, it's really amazing to me. Core ministry positions. I was standing over here in the first of the service because we have two spots over here filled, but nobody seems to want this spot over here. So I don't know what's wrong with you people. <laughs> you look fine to me. It worked out okay for me. Help them find a seat. Get to know them. Hear their story. Tell your story. How about this one? Are you in your seat today? I know you are, Bill. Oh, it's the Downs. Hello. <laughs> yes. I see some scrambling going on. It must have been because I was gone. You've found a new spot. (laughs) What about parking? Do you park far from the building so that someone who's new or newer can get to Jesus? Do you have a place of service every week? We don't offer once a month service here. That's cop-out. I can't use somebody who says I can only serve once a month. And it's not logical to even understand that. Because if you miss, I'm absent this time, well, then it's two months before you get a chance to do anything. You have no idea who's new. You have no idea who's not. You don't know who you serve with because you're never here. That completely (laughs) defeats the purpose. Because ministry is service. Service. That's, we have always had two services at Mill City. And, and, and the reason for that is because we believe that people should have, everyone should have the opportunity to serve the Lord and worship the Lord. You should never have to choose between serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And oh, by the way, it makes room for people to find Jesus. We have this little bitty building. It's still there. It's identical to where we left it. How many years ago was that? Like six years ago, almost. We le- we left that building in in 17. It looks the same, and I love driving by it because I'm like, how in the world did we do that? And Randy and Betty Joe were the, the only two that stayed from the old church. We closed the church for nine months, and then we we launched Mill City Church, and and we were telling them in our first meeting, hey, we're, we're going to have a children's pastor, and we're going to have a youth pastor, and we're going to have a worship pastor, and and. And and Betty Jo goes, you know the size of this church? (laughs) I said, yeah, but do you know the size that it's going to be? Because we're going to need that. And if we're not ready for them, then they'll know. If we try to throw something together for the kids because we never have kids, and now all of a sudden we have visitors, and so we're going to quick throw something together for them, people will not come back for that because they know you're not prepared for it. And so we're going to be prepared because we expect that the Lord's going to move and, and He's going to fill those seats. And, and so we're just going to trust the Lord and, and we're going to do our work and we're going to trust Him to close the gap. And wow, did He ever. It was amazing from day one. You realize that when you have a place of service, whether it's holding the door or parking a car or finding a seat, you're making room for people to find Jesus. When you're serving in Wonder Kids or or Mill City Kids or 6'8 or Youth, you're making room for parents to not sit around doing this all the time. And the people around them be like, you know we have a nursery. I'm not paying any attention right over here. (laughs) They're very well behaved, thank you. But I mean, think about that. Because if you're worried about what your kids are doing or people are distracted because of kids, and the message comes forth, and it's the Word of God that changes lives, then you're making room for people to find Jesus by just serving children. And we don't just babysit over there. No, we minister to children because they deserve to hear about Jesus at a level that they can understand. And I don't, I'm PG-13 at best. Sometimes I'm rated R. (laughs) They don't need to hear what I have to say. They're not ready for it yet. These men were not deterred by the people, though. That didn't stop them from the mission. They found another way. You don't want to know what that looks like when obstacles don't derail the mission? Well, first of all, it can be messy can be really messy. And imagine with me just a little bit further. We don't know how big this house was or whose house it was, but they invited Jesus to teach, probably more for the miraculous than the teaching because we're all human and we like to see that just as much as they did, I'm sure. But if it was a larger house, which is fair to speculate because it it would have to have been, because Luke says they came from all around, Right? It would belong to someone wealthy. So all these people, how many? 100? 200? Probably more, because they're all outside the house, too. They're listening. They're waiting for someone to be healed. Luke says that the power of God was with Jesus to heal, which implies that that's actually what's going on Everyone's pressing in. The people in the back are doing this kind of thing, and, and they sit down, and I can't see, and I can't hear, and, and they're pushing in, and they're trying to figure out. And then all of a sudden, there's like dust. They hear something up there. What is that? Is that rain? And then dust starts coming. Who did that roof? Shobble. <laughs> what is this? A shovel roof? Ain't no Rosno roof. <laughs> and then it starts to cave in. It starts falling in. And there's dirt. Now Luke says tile. I don't know what they make. It was probably some kind of a clay deal, Right? But it's going to have all kinds of stuff. And so now everything stops. Even Jesus. He sees what's going on. He knows what's about to happen. And then light comes. Up. And you know the owner of the house, he's like, you got to be kidding me. All I wanted to see was <laughs> some miraculous sign. Now i got to get my roof fixed. <laughs> Jesus. What a mess. What a mess. See, when the mission is changing history one person at a time, things can get really messy. Why? Just take a gander around you right now. Better yet, take a look in the mirror. There's no perfect people. not even you in fact there's no one righteous not one for all have sinned and fallen short of god's glory see when jesus is ministering he looks at the crowds and he had compassion on them because everyone he saw was harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd people who aren't Christians, people who don't follow Jesus, don't look like Jesus. Sadly, as Christians, if we're not careful, we can look more like the crowds than Jesus. This is so applicable for us today. The second thing that we can expect when we Don't allow obstacles to get in the way of the mission. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat. He crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Now look at that. He said, It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he looked at the man. Do you have the faith to go ask? Someone who doesn't know Jesus, hey, why don't you come to church with me today? Hey, I hear there's something going on. Better yet, you already know it. You know, with that, why, why don't you come to church with me today? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. What's the mission? We can find it taking shape in Matthew chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When he called his first disciples, verse 19, come follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. That's the mission. Changing history one person at a time. One person. Who do you know? What's one, who's one person you know that needs to meet Jesus. What does that person look like? Well, Luke chapter 4, he's quoting as he's reading Isaiah in the synagogue. He says, the, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to what? Proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord. Today, he says, that scripture is fulfilled. If you know Jesus, this applies to you. He's sending us out to fish for people. That was Jesus' ultimate mission, to preach the gospel, which includes his life given as a ransom, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus. Did he heal? Yes, he healed. Does he heal today? Absolutely, he does. We see it. Praise God. Does he provide? supernaturally? Absolutely. Does he restore broken relationships? Does he restore marriages? Does he mend the brokenhearted? And and does he bring comfort to those who mourn? Does he defend the defenseless? Yes, absolutely. Praise God. But the main mission, the primary goal is not the miraculous signs. The primary goal is forgiveness for sin. That's the goal. That's the mission. And from this passage, Jesus puts on display his ultimate authority to forgive sin. Did this man need to be healed? Yes, he did. But more than that, he needed to be forgiven his sin. Every single one of us, more than anything else, we need forgiveness for our sin. There's so another point we can pull from this passage, verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. How sad. Talk about blind. I would speculate. That the house belonged to one of these men, probably the leader, right? (laughs) Sandy. (laughs) Truth is, it's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? To be fair... I know personally, I have way more examples of times I wish to admit to where my own self-righteousness gets in the way of what God's doing or what he wants to do. Now, I don't, I don't use the word fellow. I don't say this fellow. I would say that guy, that guy. But, I mean, seriously, how many times do we lose sight of our own faults, of our own sin? We focus more on our rights. We focus more on our beliefs. We focus more on our opinions, our comforts, and we lose sight of the mission and ultimately, you know what you can do? You can lose sight of the results of what God is doing in spite of your personal preferences. I say often, most of the time I'm, I'm saying it in jest, you know, we're a church for anyone, but we're not a church for everyone. Um... And what I mean by that, just in all seriousness, is, you know, not everybody that walks into these doors finds God planting them here. And, you know, we do things in a particular way because we believe God has called us to do it that way. And... It's not because we've always done it that way, because we're only eight years. We don't even have enough tenure to be able to say that. Um, It's not because the Bible says, hey, we have to do it this way, and this is the only way. Um, In fact, the Bible's pretty flexible on how to do ministry. We'll see that in in a few verses down the road here in chapter nine. In fact, the Assemblies of God, which is our church affiliation, our church denomination, uh, they give us a ton of latitude and flexibility to be who God's called us to be. But I do believe this, everyone who professes, professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ needs to find a place of ministry within a local church body. That is a core belief of mine. And So then you might say, well, why are there so many churches? Well, because there's so many different people. You don't have to overthink that. But to stay where you aren't happy makes no sense at all to me when there are oodles and oodles of opportunities for you out there. Worse yet is to stay in a place where God has not called you to be. And whether that's a church body itself or I'll take it a little bit more narrow, in a, in a ministry within a church body. I mean we believe in in seasons, there are seasons where God has, has used us. We've been to lots of different churches in our, our 28 years of marriage. And sometimes it's been a geographical change and sometimes it's not been. But, but more than that, we have served in a number of different capacities. When we started this church, I think I had served in every capacity except women's ministry. That's because I'm a boy. <laughs> but think about this. If God's moved you to another place of ministry within the church, and you're holding on for whatever reason, sometimes they're good. Well, I don't know who would take the place. Or worse yet, this is mine. (laughs) You know, you're robbing the person that God has called to take that spot from the joy and blessing of, of that. And you're robbing yourself from joy because you don't want to do it anyway or you're not doing it with supernatural joy. Specifically, Sandy and I have always known that Mill City Church has a primary focus on reaching young families. And with that, you must have a strong kids ministry. But it can't stop there. In fact, it has to also provide ministry for moms and dads. And statistics are I mean prove it. Churches that have a primary focus on children's ministry and let the others go, there, there is a less than 20% chance. If you got a chi- if you have a child in the church, you have a less than 20% chance of getting the rest of the family if you get mom, it, it goes up to about 35. But if you get dad, you have a 90-plus percent chance of getting the entire family. And, and we have the results. We have been 45% male, 55% female since day one. I mean, it's, it's moved a tenth or two-tenths of a percent year after year. It has stayed right there. And it's not because men are more important than women. That, that's just not true. And it's not because parents are more important than kids. It's because God's called us to reach families. And so we are committed to reaching families. And that includes the kids and mom and dad. And so we have to be ready for that. Our demographics have always shown it. And while our attendance has always been growing, um, what we see is life's change. That's the, that's the deal. On Vision Sunday this year, I reported to you from September 13 through the end of last year, we had baptized in water 454 people in a seven-year period of time. That does not include what's happened year to date. That, that's results. Now, listen to this. Praise God. That's in an age where 8 out of 10 churches in the United States are either declining or plateaued. 8 out of 10 churches. Either this or that. 80%. And listen to this. 30% of churches in the United States have not had one person saved in the last three years. Well, you might ask, well, why is that? Well, there's a list, but as far as application today, I'd say it's probably full of people who are worried about the roof and the dust more than the man who needed Jesus. That's an amen. And so while we do have a small percentage of mill citizens who are 60-plus, which I am not on that list yet. Nine years, nine years. They do understand that we're not doing church for them. We're doing church for their kids and their grandkids. And, you know, I just, they appreciate that. They embrace that. They support that. And I just want to say publicly, thank you. For your leadership, for your faithfulness, to those that are in that demographic, we love you and we thank you. You're critical to this church. You can say thank you. Let's move on. If you disagree with that, you don't have to say anything. Look at verse 4. Knowing their thoughts. Don't ever think around Jesus. (laughs) It won't go well with you. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? I mean, could could we say that? You know, I just think you ought to do it that way. I like this. You know, in this church, I. You know what that is to Jesus? That's evil thoughts. If that's the way you like it. Man, there's a whole mess of churches that do church the, the old way. They just don't grow. And they're almost all 60 plus. So they're all plateaued in decline. See, I don't think these things, I say them. And now I'm back and I can say them. <laughs> Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and get out of here. And so the man got up, and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God. If Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, which he is, Then he will have the authority of God. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is his authority over the physical world as he has healed, his authority over the natural world as he calmed the storm, his authority over the spiritual world as he freed the demoniacs. He has authority in this, in the, um, to forgive sin. And that's what we see here. Now, I don't want to downplay the miraculous um, because they are real and they are for today. I encourage you, if you have any question about that, get this book and and walk through it with us this quarter. Um, But we have to be careful not to overemphasize the miraculous signs. And we always have to understand why God does them. And our response should always be, When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God. There's a final point that I want to make here. Um, Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Let's, let's merge Mark and Luke here again. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Luke chapter 5 says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw the tax collector by name, by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax Booth, follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So is this Matthew or is it Levi? It's both. It's not unlike Simon Peter, right? This is Matthew, Levi. And part of this passage, this part, is every bit as applicable for us today For just a little bit of context, whenever the Roman Empire would take over a territory to finance their their efforts, their government, their their army, um, military, uh, whatever infrastructure they had to put in place, they would make assessments on each territory. And then they would sell as what you and I might consider a franchise, they would sell a tax franchise to individuals, and then they would assign them that amount. And then they would say, okay, it's your job to collect this amount and give it to us, and then whatever more you collect, you can keep. So this is your job. Tax collector was one of the most despised positions In all of Israel. Also referred to as a publican, a tax collector was hated by all Jewish society. They were even more despised than the Roman soldiers themselves who occupied the land. In fact, the Jewish Talmud taught that it was righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector because it was okay to deceive a professional extorter. For a Jewish man to be a tax collector, though, would be even worse. His very occupation made him a traitor to his own country and his countrymen, and so he would be a complete social outcast. He would have also been a religious outcast, forbidden to enter the synagogue, forbidden to sacrifice, forbidden to worship. He was, in essence, worse off religiously, than a Gentile. In the parable in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector, are you familiar with it? Oh, thank you, God, I'm not a sinner like this tax collector. Well, it says that the tax collector stood afar off because he had to because he wouldn't have been permitted to enter past the court of the Gentiles. Tax collectors had to keep their distance from any group in every group, because they were so hated. Also of note, in the Gospels, any time the, um, the term tax collector is used, it's always grouped with the word sinners in the same phrase. There were two types of tax collectors, the gabai, G-A-B-B-A-I, and the mokhes, M-O-K-H-E-S. The were general tax collectors. They collected property tax, income tax, and poll tax. And these were set by the official assessments, as I mentioned before, there wouldn't have been as much to skim off the top. You know, this is your house, it's this big, this is how much it is. Everyone would know that, so it would be more difficult. But the MOCUS, they collected all the other tax, imports, exports, Trade. Um, anything moved by road, roads, bridges, horses, mules, donkeys, cattle, even axles on transport, on wagons. We see that in Chicago in the, the tollway. You know there how many axles you've got. So even the Chicagoans do that. <laughs> They're Mokis. That's what we we'll call them. We we'll call them Mokis. <laughs> There were two types of mocus. There was the great mocus, that would be Chicago people, <laughs> and the little mocus, they live in the suburbs. The great mocus stayed behind the scenes and he hired people to do the tax collecting. Zacchaeus in Luke 19 would have been a great mocus because he's considered, uh, they, they refer to him as a chief tax collector. But Matthew was evidently a little mocus because he manned a tax booth, and so he dealt with people face to face, which would have been the one who would have been the most resented and the most hated. So for the Jewish people, tax collector was public enemy number one. They were traitors who turned their back on their own countrymen, on their heritage, They sold out to the Romans, and they knew it. They weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed to be with anyone else. In fact, the Jewish Talmud taught that they were beyond redemption. They could not be forgiven. So they were outcast, full of sin, Nobody wants to be around them. Everyone hates them. You ever know anybody like that? And when everybody hates you, then what do you do? You hate them back. It just gives you that much more. The truth is, they know they're living a sinful life. This is no secret to them. They want to change, but they're either so consumed by their sin they can't seem to make a change, or they just believe that they're so far gone that why would God forgive me? We've probably all heard that person say, well, you know, if I walked in the door, the lightning would strike, the building would catch on fire. The truth is that's what they actually believe. That's Matthew, Levi. The worship team can come. Think about the name Levi. Levi would not only have been a Jew, a traitor Jew, but many scholars suggest that he was from the clan of Levi, which if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you've got the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel the 12 tribes then of Israel and Exodus and then the Levitical tribe then became the priestly tribe and they had the responsibility of managing the temple and so for this man Levi he couldn't even go to the temple let alone serve the temple. I want you to just imagine this scene one more time from a different perspective. Because the paralytic's been healed. Perhaps hundreds of people, I mean, that is not beyond the scope of understanding, hundreds of people from all the towns around, squeezed in, they're seeing all this, they're hearing all this, It's one of the biggest houses in town. Jesus is teaching. He's healing lots of people. Then this hole is cut in the roof of the house. This man is lowered into the middle of the room right in front of Jesus. And everybody knew who this man was. This is Paul the paralytic. Everybody knows who that is. No telling how it happened or how long it had been like. And then when it was over, Paul's not the paralytic anymore. Paul's walking. He just like gets up and he walks out, healed, instantly, completely healed. Wow. But before he was healed, Jesus said something to him. He said, your sins are forgiven. And nobody ever heard that before. And right before he healed him, Jesus said, so you'll know that I have the authority to do this. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And he did I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Now, when you go to an event, ball game, concert, church, maybe you're gonna leave here church today. What do you inevitably do? You're with your friends. You're like, "Hey, remember when he said last week? You remember when he went? Ah, remember that? That was that ah, scared me to death." Hey, remember when I loved it when they, oh man, when he caught that. That's what you do. So imagine the people, they're leaving. They're all going home. It's the end of the day. They're walking. And they're talking about this. this is, I've never seen anything like this before. It's amazing. Inevitably, they're going to get to that part. He forgave him his sin. And then there's Levi. Matthew, he's there. I mean, he may have been in the back, but he was there. You know he was. He's going. Nobody's talking to him. You don't have any friends. And his mind, he's thinking. Could he forgive me? Because nobody's ever said that I could be. In fact, the only things everybody has ever said to me is that I can't be. But could it be? So he goes back to his booth and he's sitting there thinking, wow, and then here comes Jesus. and He gets not deterred by the crowds. He walks right up to this guy and he calls him by name and he says, follow me. Eloquence to that. There's no fancy, if I just say it this way, maybe they'll know it. Just follow me, the biggest sinner in town. And Jesus says, I'll take that one. Who do you know? Perhaps. Leaves work every day after completely making a fool of themselves once again. But the truth is, no one is beyond redemption. Thing is, that Matthew had to get to a place. where he was serious with himself. He had to get to a place where he'd say, you know, I kind of made a mess of things. I look at the inventory of my life, and the truth is, I have not done a very good job of calling all the shots. And so when Jesus walks up and says, hey, I'll take a shot on you, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll help you through this. Luke says, Levi got up and left everything and followed Jesus. The tax booth, somebody else is going to take that. You know what? I don't want that anymore. It didn't work out that well for me. Anyway, I'm going this way. Jesus, if you'll forgive me, I'll follow you. I expect he probably didn't give him a Bible and say, hey, start right here in John chapter one and work your way through it and then come talk to me. No, he just said, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me, that's what Paul says. Hey, look at my life, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm gonna make mistakes, I'll tell you about them, I'll own them, and then we'll move on together. You see, that's just what it's like. Super important for us to see following jesus means leaving your old life because that's what separates us from him anyway and then we follow him and you know what that you know what the result of that is changed history all of the history that matthew was creating prior to this moment was going this way and in a moment he says i'm going this way and now all of a sudden All of this history is totally different and the history culminates with the writing of this book and the people that hated him the most, this book, this gospel, this story of Jesus was written directly to the people that hated him the most. Isn't that an amazing story? So applicable for us today. And look what he did. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You know, just like the men in the last passage. Just go home and tell everybody what Jesus has done for you, right? Matthew just started bringing people to Jesus. Who? Well, who did he know? People like him. Right? Who do you know? What do I do? Well, what did he do? Well, he invited him over for dinner. Take him out to dinner. Do you know one out of four people will say yes if you invite him to church? And that's like years and years of statistical norm. One out of four people will say, sure, I'll go with you and take him to dinner afterwards. I told him what Jesus had done. Then he lets Jesus do the work. Remember the mess it's still there. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why did your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Go learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the first conflict that Matthew records between the Pharisees and Jesus. It ends with the crucifixion. Now, Jesus isn't saying that the Pharisees are healthy or righteous. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that their own pride and self-righteousness was blinding them from their own sin and their own need for forgiveness. Matthew was able to get there. Have you gotten there? Have you gotten to that place? Because it's not about being a good person or a bad person, it's really about just following Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for a mirror that we can use. For those followers of you that are here in this room, God, I pray that, that we would be, there'd be a spark there. That we would be compelled to make room for people to find Jesus, to to go get people who, who don't know you, who are far from you, who are not in right relationship with you, not to condemn them, but to bring restoration to them. God, I thank you for raising up this church. I thank you for the lives that have been changed supernaturally. The greatest miracle of all is salvation. It's eternal life. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you, God, that you use me and my imperfection to introduce people to your perfection. Pray for those perhaps that have identified more with Matthew, Levi. Maybe you knew the Lord at one time and in an honest inventory of your life, evidence is just, it's hard to see. I'm here to tell you that there's no one righteous, not even one. And God's not here to condemn you either. He's here to restore you. There's no one beyond redemption. Paul writes in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter one, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. That means the Holy Spirit, God himself, compelled, moved upon Paul to write those words. Those are a testimony to you and I that if God wrote that Paul was the worst sinner of all, then you and I are not And not one person is far, too far from God, is beyond redemption. And I'm here to tell you today, you're one prayer away. You're one prayer away from right relationship with him. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, it's the greatest miracle of all. It's new life, eternal life. So this morning, I'd like to pray for someone, anyone, finds themselves in that spot where you need a a repentant prayer. You need to confess that this is where I'm at. I'm just to be honest with you. This is where I'm at, God. I hear your word, and if if you'll forgive me, then then I'll I'll follow you. It's not about joining a church, and it's not about keeping a bunch of rules. It's about following Jesus. Are you willing to follow him wherever you are? If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. Is there somebody just sign of up an upraised hand? I'll pray for you today. Anybody here today? Thank you. Praise God. I need, I need to let go of some things in my life. I, I, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Is anybody here today? Father, I praise your name. I praise your name. You're such a good God. Father, I pray that this would be a word that would penetrate our hearts, that we would would see with your eyes that compassion for the people that are around us. In particular, God, I pray this week that we would see those that are walking with shame and condemnation that you would give us a strategic moment, a divine appointment, Lord, to bring them to you. Pray for next service. God, I'm asking that uh, those that are going to be here, you know there's going to be here already. You had this ordained before time began. Pray for those that are far from you, Lord, that the the word would would penetrate their heart find root. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray.